Ladies and gentlemen, you know exactly what time it is. Welcome back to the Catitude Podcast on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Anders Pryor. Thank you for making us a part of your week. I hope that everyone is, in fact, uh, staying as warm as you can. Um, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you this. It's it, a little, little uh, Anders Prior fun fact of the day. Um, my threshold, um, and some of you might squirm while listening to this. My threshold for shorts is is very, very high. It takes a lot to get me to wear long pants unless I'm going to something particularly fancy. I like being breathable. I like the mobility, um, and so. I gotta tell you, like, unless I were in like a blizzard situation, like it's hard for me to for me to get me to wear, you know, baggy sweatpants when going outside. Because um, really, as long as the the wind isn't moving at a high speed, then it's fine. Um, as long as it's because because at that point, you know, that's harder for me with my asthma to breathe and whatnot. Let alone, you know, that it's for you know for breathing it's one thing, you know. But we're we're talking about you know just just the tire, so. Um, I hope that for those of you who are as stupid as I am, you're trying to stay warm in some other ways. But we had a, a very interesting game last night against UConn uh, with the catch dropping uh, 66 to 65. And I want to talk about it um, because I think that it encapsulates a lot of the a lot of really important things. And uh, we can just get right into it. But thank you so much for making us a part of your week and and uh, whether you're an alumni, a current student, or just a fan of Villanova basketball or college basketball in general, thank you for continuing to select me, this podcast, and the entire Believe Network as part of your intake of all of your favorite sports media. I want to open the episode with a thought that I was having, that I've been having uh, uh, throughout the week. And I think it actually fits perfect because I was trying to think about it in the context of a couple different things I was thinking about in terms of the NFL. I was thinking about it in terms of the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that this is, you know, more true with sports than others, depending on, you know, how many games, how important each game is, you know, structure of season and all things like that. But, you know, there's a phrase... Um, that we talk about, you know, oldest time that you hear in like Pee Wee football and Little League baseball, which is that there's no moral victories, um, which which is something that I think I have I, I've gone back and forth as to how much I agree with that phrase. I would I would as of today go maybe 70, 30, 80, 20. And yes, I agree that there are moral victories. Um. Well, the thought that I, I was having was that there is, to me, a difference between, and, and I'm saying this, you know, assuming that you believe that there are, in fact, moral victories, um, or if you think that moral victories are just a hypothetical idea that doesn't actually exist in reality, there is a difference to me between moral victories and good losses, um, because I think that, you know, moral victory, when I hear that phrase, I kind of just say here a thing of like, okay, well, we got our stuff totally rocked in and kicked in. And, you know, basically at that point, 
whatever a moral victory is, whether it's, you know, cutting the deficit down to a certain thing or a certain, you know, player, you know, in showing some improvement in something, it's basically just trying to pull little specks and dusts of, of positivity and, and trying to put a magnifying glass under some sort of silver lining to, to find a reason essentially to not feel as much shame really. Um, you know, especially depending on, you know, you as a team and, and what, in how much you value momentum as a fan, how much you value momentum as a team, and what your kind of current state of momentum is, where, you know, some teams can afford moral victories and others can't, and that's just reality, and that's why, you know, individual wins are so important. Um, but I do think that bad losses are are real in the rea as a reflection of the reality that someone ha unless it's it's in the NFL or you know hockey where you can get you know it, it's weird like the whole like over winning in overtime versus winning in the regular regulation thing that that's I've always found that kind of strange but um however someone has to win and I think the idea of a good loss is still acknowledging of that. However, I think that in good losses, you still can. A good loss to me is you watch the losing team and you feel better about them going into going out of the game than you did um, going into it. And I think that. Um, that was the case last night. So, like, meaning for me, I actually felt better about that game. I felt better about our team, and I felt better about the Wildcats, and I felt better about Con Neptune and the roster and the construction of the roster um, than I did going in. Um, I think the I and I think the idea of good losses is actually very applicable, especially to college sports, right? Um, and that can be for better or for worse. You know, you know, we saw with college football this year, a lot of people are kind of were frustrated that uh, you know with the whole Bama and Florida State thing, a good loss is better than a bad win. I don't think that's true. And people who know me, do, I do believe that Florida State, you know, should, should be, should have been in. But that's a, that's a different subject for a different story. Um, but the beautiful thing about net ranking and I, and I heard this someone say this yesterday is that the good the beautiful thing about net ranking is that you can lose a game and it can go up right that's the beautiful thing about March Madness is that it's not the rankings and it's not the standings and I think people you know and and to a certain point people do appreciate that and kind of awe at that and are infatuated with that from a standpoint of how that's part of their romantic nature of the of the tournament kind of unravels but it's also a sort of reality that you know has to be applied when we discuss things 
And so my, my official prediction, this was one of the first things, I, and I was very fortunate to go to the game at Wells Fargo. I, I, I tell people all the time that don't go to the school how grateful I am that I go to a school that where we actually are able to play in a professional stadium at a professional venue. Um, I tell people you know, how grateful I am, and one of the first things I said after the loss was I actually think our net ranking is going to go up. Um, yesterday, I, I was watching – you know, before I, I went off to the game, I was watching Baylor and, and Texas, which was a heck of a game. Um, super entertaining. One of the better games I've watched this season. And for those of you who don't know or maybe are, are only focused on Nova, the, the Big 12 is like it's, it, it's, the, it's the powerhouse, the with a capital T powerhouse um, in um, college basketball. It's like the SEC. Um, it's like the SEC – of of football but for basketball um and they talked about how for them losing games and moving up in the net ranking is a totally normal and accepted idea and i think that this kind of law lo- and i don't and it and i think it happens more often than people think um and i think that that's what's going to happen here with with us right now on the NCAA website it has Villanova ranked um as the let me check right here 38th best team in the country which I think is a fair ranking um given where we were at I I thought that you know if we had lost if we had lost to Marquette and you guys know that over the, over the course that uh, my prediction was before the season with the, with the big three that we would sweep Creighton, uh, split with UConn, and, and get swept by Marquette. Um, I thought that I, it says you know previously we were thirty four. My guess is that if we if we had lost to Marquette the way that we lost to um, UConn. My guess is we would have stayed roughly the same. Um, overall, I think that you know, right now at thirty-eight, I I think I think moving back to back to thirty-four with the kind of showing that we had um, against DePaul after something like this, I think is very reasonable. I don't think we'll maybe we don't move, but I don't think we go down. I think the most we would even go down to, even if we were to, would be 40. Um, I think that it's hard to, you know, losing unless you are, you know, and obviously there's a bunch of different contexts, but I think in, in general, losing by one point to the number one ranked team in the country, because again, like that, that this is decided by people. They've, they've decided like this committee that UConn is like the team, the number one team. And so they place value over them. And so the smaller the margin is, the more that they take that into consideration, which I think is really important to note when with how they draw these things up. Um, and so that's what I think. And I don't view that as a moral vir- victory because I don't really think it's that abstract or in, sort of, you know, hard to pull through or hard, hard to, to string your head around. I think that rather 
when I say good loss, I don't take that as an optimistic sense. I say good losses in, hey, like these guys who put UConn number one clearly value them and they might, you know, I mean, hey, like they might move us up as a result. I would also on the flip side not be shocked if UConn, <clears throat> excuse me, moves down a couple spots. That would not be something that surprises me in the slightest. Um, I mean, we saw what Purdue was able to do against Arizona, uh, against Iowa, which is a sneaky good team, by the way. That's a team that not enough people, I think, are paying attention to. Um, I I think uh, that would be a uh, that would be a move if they switched. Would not be shocked in the slightest. So. I, I think in terms of it for the people who where the number one thing is and like me where the kind of the point of this thread of discussion is sort of to analyze our kind of placing in like the tournament ecosystem. I think that that I think that this is about as good of a situation as you can get. And I don't view that as optimistic. I view that as logical. The other thing I will say, and you guys will just have to excuse me because my air conditioning just turned on. Um, I I heard another point, and I forget what it was. Actually, you know what? Nope, I do remember. It was it was also the Texas Baylor game, and that 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 broadcast was they did a great job. It was it was Jay Billis, and I I forget who the who the who the who the main person who the who they had for play by play that game, but um. But I, uh, I would say they, but they made another great point, which is that for the people where, you know, the emo, where like in terms of evaluating the tournament ecosystem, like, Hey, I get it. But right now in the moment, it's too hard for me to think about that. Here's what I'm going to say is that, and this is something that I've, I've, I've hammered in all year on the podcast, off the podcast, and it, I truly do believe it. Where it's re, it's it it it's really really difficult for me to imagine or to follow through with living and dying by every single result because to me, if the if you go from the season being over to wanting to win the title, and I've and I viewed this in terms of you know, how we view the team and how we, and how we view individual players in terms of how we view, you know, Kyle Neptune, you know, it, it's it's it, it doesn't make any sense. I think for there's a I know that there's an emerging it, it is becoming an emerging emergingly popular opinion that Hakeem Hart should be starting in place of Mark Armstrong. It's a party that I would assign myself to. The reason that we know that or that we think that way is because of a long-standing season-long body of evidence that includes both good and bad moments from both players. And so we take that all into consideration and we broadly uh, view it and then we analyze it and we come to a conclusion from there. Um, I don't think, it, to me, like, if 
if you are living and dying by the result of every single game, I don't know how the hell you're supposed to kind of go through a whole season. Um, it, and it kind of undermines the point of this, of there being a season because it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that, sounds you know a little gimmicky to say and cheesy to say and it is and I apologize because you guys know how much I hate sort of weird ways of saying stuff like that but uh you know a marathon's a 26 mile race and if you're either you know screaming for joy or crying on the ground after every mile then it's a really hard that's gonna be a really hard race that's gonna be a that's gonna be a, a painful marathon and marathons and seasons are, are you know it, it's they're methodical they're exhausting sometimes you know I mean especially in a sport like the in NBA basketball or even baseball but but you know principal stance here too so um and there were game like if you like I, I I'll say it again I think the one bad loss that we've had all year really bad I think when people say bad, people use the word bad loss too lightly. I think the one bad loss we've had all year is Drexel. I don't even think that was bad. I think that was a horrible loss. It legitimately, like, and I and I don't say this lightly, like, if you feel after the loss last night the same way you felt about the Drexel loss, you got to check yourself because not, like, not all wins are created equal. Not all losses are created equal. That's why we have good losses and bad losses or good wins and bad wins. Like on what I was saying earlier with bad losses, like it can be the opposite too, where you feel worse about a team leaving the game before going as a compared to going into it. Despite that, I'm, I know I, I'm, I, I can guarantee you there are thousands and thousands of UConn fans that would identify with that idea. Um, but the winning and dying by every result kind of way of looking at it, I don't really, it, it, it gets more and more kind of frustrating to engage with the longer and longer we sort of sit here and just kind of. You know, we got to go you, 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 the longer and longer we go through the season, you know, your perspective and the and your scope should evolve in, with new information and gained information, because even win or lose, you gain information no matter what. And so you have to look at it like that um, as my air conditioner so kindly turns off. Um, so this is not a deep breath moment as in a, hey, stop panicking. This is a deep breath moment as in, hey, like, you got to understand that this is how the sport works. And so we're 38 right now. If I am going to guess that we move up to 36, that's my immediate prediction. Um, when I talk to you guys early next week, you know, we'll, we'll see how that ages. But that is my prediction. In terms of the game itself... I don't have a, a bunch to say. I mean, I do, but what I would say is a, a few things. I think now 
the, I would argue, process of, of integrating Justin Moore back into the offense. Because that takes some time. I think it takes more time than people realize. Um, I think it's there. I think it's starting to to get in. He he led he led in scoring last night with 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 uh, fifteen. Um, him and Bamba together, um, five rebounds, um, which are which are good. I think I think is about what you would expect for him on an average night. For me, the I would say biggest thing is. I thought the kind of size and athleticism kind of combo that you would expect to overpower a team that is physically and structurally constructed like Nova, I thought was on, on display and I thought it was on display early, which is why they kind of got into that 11 to, to zero run at the beginning. UConn did, um, it's not like this is not like Creighton where it's just it's just height. Creighton's tall and they have do have some guys that are, you know, that that have some muscle, right? Kalkbrenner is not, you know, a, a, you know they have a, a reflection of the average team. They have they have height, they have muscle. They just don't they're not particularly athletic. That's that's kind of the main issue. Um it's why, you know, it, it's why UConn beat beat them um before 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 they beat us um and so i thought that that was kind of it, it wasn't surprising it, whatever whatever mismatch it was and you know maybe we you can also say you know they got a we had a break we we got a bad break by the you know, this being the one game you know Klingon's first game back which you know fair um I would say that uh, I I would I would make the point of like okay well, um, we should I mean it's not I mean they they look they got to the to the one seed before he got back right so I and I think they'll factor that in too because they're gonna they're gonna put this in you know my 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 take of we're gonna move up in the nets comes in. We even without Klingon, and now that he's back, I think they're going to emphasize that even more. Um, I thought that a lot of the I I thought a lot of the shots that were taken early were actually good shots. I I, I think sometimes you know take the wrong the, the 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 right shot and the wrong shot are right and wrong relative of whether or not they go in. I thought we actually took the right shots. I thought especially Mark. Because I think Mark's right now under a little bit of a, mag, a, micro, a microscope, including from myself. I actually thought that he was a little bit more patient and disciplined and had some better body control when shooting than he normally does. Um, especially over taller defenders. They just did, they just didn't go in. But that was a point of improvement from him. I thought the same could was said for for Hakeem. For um for Hakeem as well. Um and you guys know me that I'm on the in the bench Mark Armstrong for Hakeem Hart bandwagon, like I said earlier, and like I've in the episode, and like I said earlier in the season. Um, but that was something that I was impressed by. That just didn't go in, and that's and that's you know in, in principle it's fine. Early on with a team 
like UConn, with, with, which although it does not have as much depth as last year, the starters still play with the same kind of just impossible to guard downhill momentum that they did with last year. So um, I think that, you know, we maybe not 11 to nothing, you know, I'm not excusing that, you know, a couple buckets would have been nice, <laughs> but uh, especially given the score, but it, it, it didn't, you know, take me away um, the way that the St. John's early run out was when we played them uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I, I don't have to make any, you know, Lance Ware jokes for you guys. You guys can go on Instagram and find as many of those as you want. You know, like this, you know, again, if Klingon doesn't play, I think he, he makes a couple of those baskets. Um, but he did and we couldn't, we can't control that. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not into this whole thing of like calling him an idiot, but I think he does have some coordination issues sometime. Um, obviously Nana, who we saw getting more minutes over the course of the year in the past month now out, um, you know, now out, um, he was unavailable, so we didn't really have a choice. Um, but I, my guess is that matchup-wise, he's not going to, unless he goes up against Joel Soriano, my guess is that matchup-wise, he's not really going to get into that much unusual trouble, like an unusual amount of trouble again with just layups and simple things like that. And in the end, you know, if you have to foul which is the situation that we were in where we had to foul. And if they make their shots, then, you know, then that that's not anyone's fault, you know? So, which I know kind of sounds like an excusatory thing to say, but it, it's just true. I mean, UConn shoots well from the line. I mean, heck, even at certain parts of the game in the second half, they, they miss shots. Um, and, but, but overall, you know, down the stretch, when it mattered most, they made the shots and that's fine. You know, there was something else that we could have done. Um, um, in regards to the, to the refs, um, I thought that the, the, Justin Moore got two offensive foul calls in the game. I thought the second one in the last minute, I thought was a fair call. Um, I thought that that was the right call. I thought the first one could have gone either way. If the, the fact that they called it didn't hate it, if they if it was a no call, also would have been okay with it. Um, but that that first one, that that excuse me, the last one, the one that happened in the last minute of the game, the if the UConn if that was a no call and the UConn bench got you know pissed about it, I would not have blamed them. I would have been secretly rooting. I was like, okay, yeah, here we go. But I would have not have uh, been. You know, I, I think I, I think I would have would have been able to uh, to understand that um, from their perspective. Um, I don't blame the refs. Um, I don't think either team really particular. I, when I when I look at you know controversial calls, I, I try to ask myself the first thing is did the right team win? Um, you know, if we're talking about 
a, a game in any sport where there's a controversial call. It's like, well, the red team win. Did one did the team that got did did the controversial call get called against the team that was outplayed the whole game anyway and that was making all the bad mistakes anyway? And if the answer is yes, then it's fine. I don't think it, now if we distinctively outplayed UConn for the whole game and then lost it on a controversial call, whether it was that one or a different kind of call, then yeah, I would be upset. In a game like this where I don't think it was either particular way, then, you know, you, you just kind of have to deal with it um, and do what you can, um, which is also why I feel so strongly about the net rating going up despite losing idea because of that reality. Um, I think that, I think, yeah. So we see a lot of times refs, it's understood refs sometimes will call stuff differently down the stretch in in certain games. Um, I think that, uh, My, I, I think one of the arguments that you see a lot in Turner with the game is, oh, you need to let the guys play, right? Which they'll say, okay, well, just, you know, you need to let the guys play. Sure. But what you won't hear them say is that Justin Moore did not commit the offensive foul, right? Which is basically just retroactively... Uh, asking for an officiating break, which is not right. It's It doesn't make any sense. Um, and if you also think that we're that good and you think we deserve to win, it, it, it would have been because of the way that we played and then the situations that we were in and how we, how we reacted to them instead of, you know, asking for the refs to agree to some silent, unspoken contractor rule that may or may not exist. So, um, I don't hate it. What I, I would obviously prefer a no call, of course, but I don't, I don't hate the idea of them calling that call in that moment. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I, again, I, I thought that everything else was fine. I thought that Burton was good. Dixon, I thought was efficient despite not putting us up as many points. Um, Hart continues to be efficient. Um, I, I, I think I can, I can, you can see the improvement. I think that if we played this game as our first, uh, conference opener instead of Creighton, you would have, we would have gotten smoked. I, I genuinely believe that. Um, I, I think I can, I, I can, you can see the improvement and I, I, I do, I do hold that to be true. I think if that, if, if you switch these games, I think if we played Creighton today in that setting, the way we did, I, you know, in the same spot, but it just happened now, I think we would have won regardless. And I think that we will also beat Creighton when we play them a second time later in the year. Um, um, but uh, I think that if we played that this UConn team to, to open up Big East play, we would have gotten smoked. We would have gotten everything kicked in. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited. Like if we – like if I'm looking at the schedule, we have – a revenge spot against St. John's and then Butler. 
right as to as a kind of get right stretch um and then marquette but then after that before we have to go and face uconn at uconn we have a very winnable stretch of providence and xavier and then i know that seton hall is kind of like the hot team right now but you know i think they'll eventually they'll regress i don't think they're going to have that many spectacular wins in that kind of a state or in that kind of a stretch Although that triple overtime game was unbelievable um, for those of you who saw it. Uh, and then Georgetown and Butler again. And then we finished the year off after UConn with Georgetown, Providence, and Seton Hall again. And then we get to finish the year home against Crane, who we've already beaten. So I think that once we really get past Marquette on the 30th, we're going to start to see things sort of mold into each other um as we go along i'm excited which i know was crazy to say after a loss but man i'm excited um but that's gonna be it for me today guys um for those of you who are going to be tuning in to the to the divisional round of football go go enjoy i know i sure will but thank you guys for for tuning in Thank you for making me and the rest of Believe Network a part of your week. This has been the Catitude Podcast on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Anders Pryor. I have been your host, Anders Pryor. Go out, stay warm, wear shorts if you want to, bundle up, bundle up if you're not like me. I'll see you guys early next week.